Welcome to Evan the Counselor Live. I'm Evan the Counselor. We have an awesome episode. It is another one of our discussion series, and today we're going to be talking about the therapeutic relationship. If you're interested in mental health, which presumably you are if you're listening to this, this is a topic that doesn't get nearly enough attention, nor do people go into enough detail about it, because the therapeutic relationship, that is relationship between client or patient and their therapist, is one of the most important factors of success in treatment. The way a client perceives their therapist, how much they like them or how much they feel supported by them, is one of the greatest predictors of success. So we don't talk about this nearly enough. And some people will just say that, but we don't talk about why that is. And there are some very complicated dynamics that go on between a therapist and their client. Emotional dynamics, and everything gets heightened. Everything gets emotionally heightened in the therapy room. So I won't go into too much more detail because we talk about this in the discussion. But I really want you to stick around and listen to this because I, I think you'll find it interesting. As I found it to be super interesting throughout my career and when I learned about some of these dynamics in grad school. Again, I'm going to let you behind the curtain a little bit. Let you know what we therapists are sometimes thinking. Uh, show you how the sausage is made, so to speak. So I really want you to check it out. One thing to note is that as I was filming, recording this, I noticed that it just stopped recording. So it's like after 20 minutes, and then I probably spoke for another 30 minutes until I realized. So the sound is a little bit chopped up because I used the audio from the TikTok live. So I was able to salvage it, but at some point you'll notice that the audio uh, quality drops significantly. But then I pick it back up later. Um, so just note that. I hope you enjoy this episode. And let me know what you thought. Feel free to shoot me an email, evan at evanthecounselor.com, and provide any feedback. And I am still giving away some free therapy guides, so feel free to reach out. All right, without further ado, here's the discussion episode on the therapeutic relationship. Here we go, Evan the Counselor Live. I'm Evan the Counselor. Today, we are going to be doing a discussion episode. So it's just going to be me yammering on. But today, we're going to be talking about the therapeutic relationship. So that basically means the relationship between a client, or some may call a patient, and their therapist. And I've wanted to talk about this for so long because I've always seen the relationship between client and therapist as this special, almost sacred relationship that you cannot get anywhere else. The dynamics, the ethics um, of a therapist-client relationship is like none other. There's no other relationship like it. And it's something that's really delicate, right? It's a very delicate relationship. And that's why there have to be so many rules, ethics, and boundaries around it. Because if that relationship gets soiled, you won't be able to have the same type of success. In order for therapy to work, your client has to trust you. For therapy to work, your client has to like you. You have to like your therapist. Um, you know, maybe you could find some exceptions, right? It's like, I don't like my therapist, but they, they do help, right? So maybe you'll find some of that. But one of the most predictive factors of success in therapy is the therapeutic relationship and the quality of that relationship. So I've been online for a little bit now, and I've gathered some of your questions. So for those coming in, if you have questions about the relationship between therapist and client, feel free to post those. I'll be monitoring the live. So we'll go to the TikTok live cam, even though it's kind of backlit, but just know that 
There we go. Yeah, that's better. So just know that we have people rolling on in, and we're going to be talking all about that relationship. Um, so people asking, how do you know your therapist is a good fit? That's a good one, too. So we'll cover that in the Q&A. So let's go into it. So I think the roots of the therapeutic relationship, you could go back to Freud, and, and it was probably most similar to a doctor and a patient. And they're still to that day. You still have doctors, psychiatrists, uh, PhDs, PsyD psychologists, and their patients. So there is this dynamic of doctor-patient. However, we're talking about individuals who are opening up and being vulnerable emotionally, not just physically with your doctor, right? With your doctor, there is a lot of trust that needs to happen with your physical health, and there are boundaries there. However, we're talking about emotions and relationship dynamics, so there really needs to be even more of a separation in some ways than your physical doctor. I mean, you used to hear back in the day, you know, hey, I'm friends with my doctor, and and that would happen, and it wouldn't be that big of a deal. Um, but with the therapist-client relationship, you can't have that. So we're going to go into why that may be. Um, so why is the therapeutic relationship so unique, right? Why is this relationship so different? Therapy, again, I mentioned it's this emotional exchange that's happening. So a therapist doesn't fully devoid themselves of their own emotion. Just like you're creating a relationship with us, we're creating a relationship with you. And maybe some therapists could fully close it off, but in a relationship, you can't always close it off. Just like a doctor, you know, most will care about you. So we're entering into this relationship together. And there is a financial element as well, which complicates and people are, well, are they just doing this for the money? So there's all these complicated dynamics going on, and that's why there has to be that trust. So even though a therapist is getting paid, and again, this is always most of the time, and we will talk about, I don't know, let's say bad therapists or unethical therapists, which they certainly exist, and in numbers that uh, are more than I would care to enjoy. Um, how many, what is the percentage of that? I don't know, five, 10%. I'd like to think at, at most, you know, are not the most ethical and everyone approaches, uh, their profession differently, but it is this extremely unique relationship that it is a professional relationship and you can't get that anywhere else. Um, for therapy to be effective, a client needs to believe that you care. And maybe a therapist could feign caring, but most of them don't. In my experience, most therapists do care. And that's why they get into the profession. Generally, maybe they're a bit more intuitive, empathetic. A lot of the therapists say, I'm an empath, right? We want to help people. We didn't just get into this because we're like, hey, this is a great opportunity to make money because it's not. So most therapists get into it because they're wanting to help people. They, they're empathetic. They want to connect. I mean, and, and it is. It's a great job. A lot of it depends on the organization. It depends on 
how much support you're getting. But for most therapists, what's most stressful for them that I find is the environment they're working and how their organization supports them, the workload that they're given. Um, because we know that we're going to deal with difficult clients at times. You know, we're dealing with folks with severe mental illness, perhaps behavioral concerns. Um, and we're most therapists are okay with that. And some therapists like that. Some therapists actually opt to work with adolescents who could be sometimes more difficult. Uh, people with severe persistent mental illness, which could be difficult. And people like that. A lot of folks I know like working with the criminal justice population, folks in prisons. Um, and they like that. And so, I mean, that just goes to show that therapists love the connection. And that's why I think under the right circumstances, it's a great job. I get to meet cool people. I get to form really cool relationships that I couldn't elsewhere. And I get to talk to people for a living, right? And don't get me wrong, it could be very stressful. It could be very exhausting. It could be emotionally exhausting. But at the end of the day, it could be awesome. So we do, I'm just trying to say that we, we do like it and we often... Most of the time, I would hope, like you. And I could only speak for myself and some of the therapists that I know. Um, but given that we're more empathetic, more understanding, and in general, less judgmental. And I did some posts about this. I did a post about, you know, reflection, um, you, you know, thinking your therapist doesn't, or projection, sorry, that your therapist doesn't like you. And... You know, people said, look, I do feel judgment on my therapist and hey, they ghosted me. And like, you're going to have these examples of outlying unethical therapists. And maybe it happens more often than I care to believe. But in the spirit of what a therapist client relationship is supposed to be, I think any good therapist needs to care about their client and hold them in unconditional positive regard. So what does that mean? It means I always have to view you in a positive light, or it's not going to work if I think you're a bad person, or I think, you know, sometimes maybe I do, I'm a human being, maybe I do judge people, but I have to check that at the door. And I, and when that's happening, often there's a projection on my end, right? We call that counter transference. There's transference, which is the therapist projecting onto me, and then there's counter-transference of what I'm projecting onto the therapist based on my past experiences. For example, if I remind you of your father, right, I'm not, it's not just me coming in the room. I had a really, one of the best classes I ever took in grad school was about, you know, therapy skills. And we had this incredible teacher, shout out to Patty Shannon. And so much of it was not just therapy modalities. It was so much of what she tried to instill in us is it's all about emotions and digging or digging deep into emotions and the relationship. So she said, always ask yourself, who am I right now? Because I'm not just the therapist. In this room, when you're an emotionally vulnerable, I may be representing somebody else. I may be representing your father, your brother, and you have to be aware of that. You have to be, you have to be aware and you have to be mindful of that. And sometimes you have to call that out and have those uncomfortable conversations. 
uh, because that's where the magic happens. A lot of times I think clients hold on to these feelings of feeling judged, right? Someone on the live stream said, I'm a drug addict and felt judged in therapy, right? And on my last post on TikTok about therapist projection, so often, right, if you're working with a drug and alcohol counselor and they're judging you for being an addict, I mean, that is bananas. I mean, that's absolutely horrible, right? I can't think of anyone in their right mind as a counselor that would do that, right? But you're going in, you're, you're being emotionally vulnerable, you're feeling judged. And look, that may be the case if you're seeing a therapist who's not, you know, specialized in addiction or you end up at a hospital or something like that. And that could happen, but especially in a chemical dependency setting, what I would challenge you on, what I talked about in my post, is that that is a reflection of how you feel about yourself, right? Being mindful. What do I think my therapist is thinking about me negatively? That's probably how you feel about yourself, and you're projecting that shame onto them. Because what you're doing when you're going into therapy is like you're opening yourself up. You're opening your jack, and you're showing the soft part of your belly, right? That's the vulnerability. Like when your dog lays over and it shows you their belly, right? That's the vulnerable part of your neck, the animal world, right? If you let somebody have access to your neck, right? So you're going into that relationship and you're not doing this outside, most likely, because you don't want to tell your friends and family about your deepest vulnerabilities and insecurities. And that's the cool part about the therapist relationship is when you go in, when you go into that room and that door closes, it's supposed to stay in that room. Legally, it is to stay in that room. So you could say almost whatever you want. And again, there are limits, right? The risk of harm to self, like imminent harm to self, others, abuse of an elderly person and a child. Other than that, anything goes, right? And so even if your therapist does, you know, is judging whatever, I mean, this is your opportunity. This is your opportunity to get stuff off your chest. And if your therapist judges you, that's their shit. But don't just assume because you feel like they are that they are. And even if you do feel that way, I do sometimes recommending bringing that up because I, you could be holding on to that for months of like, I feel like you're judging me. I feel like you think I'm this, this, that, and the other. And your therapist may get blown back and be like, what? And like I said in, in my therapist projection, TikTok, um, it really is much more about how you feel about yourself and what you're projecting onto them. And you're holding that in. Your therapist probably has no idea. They probably have no idea that you're feeling that way. But when you bring it up, it could be a corrective experience. I was talking about that class I did with Patty Shannon. And she would always talk about this thing called the corrective emotional experience. Because therapy is much more about me teaching you coping skills, right? Think of the office, think of the therapy room as this microchasm for your outside world and how you live your life. What the dynamics going on in the therapy, therapy office are often the dynamics that are going on in your outside life. So as a therapist, she always said, be mindful of how that client interacts with you and your relationship and know that in many ways that's how they interact in their outside world and pay attention to that and that could be something you bring up with them and work on the relationships their attachment those really deep attachments 
right? Everything in the therapy room gets magnified. All those dynamics get magnified. And that's because you have this high degree of emotional vulnerability. You're putting your walls down. You're letting someone directly into that sensitive emotional part of yourself. And someone said therapists sometimes give bad advice. Yeah, something to do with being human. Yeah, exactly. And we're going to talk a lot about that here, about therapists being human. And part of that is, you know, maybe not being ethical. All right, so what are the boundaries that need to be there, right? So the therapist-client relationship is so important because it relies on this mutual, mutual trust. I mean, really more trust of the client to the therapist. Um, and it, it relies on trust, the client feeling like you care, it relies on confidentiality, and much, much more. So you need to have certain boundaries in place to protect this sacred and delicate relationship. I call it sacred, not of like a religious perspective, but it's almost the best word I could think about it because it's so unique. It's so precious. That you can't, that it has to be protected at all costs for it to be effective. And that's why there's ethics and boundaries there to protect you. Because if you're coming into my office and you're being emotionally vulnerable, you know, to be frank, I could fuck your head up. And I'm not saying like, I mean, maybe I could purposely, but, you know, but when you're in that place of emotional vulnerability and you're, you're showing me, you're giving me access to your emotional world. I could absolutely do damage. There is a, and that's why bad therapists, um, unethical therapists, let's call them, can do so much damage and do trauma to people. It'd be like, it's like a mechanic, right? If I take my car to the mechanic and they have no idea what the hell they're doing and I give them access to the engine, they could fuck the whole car up, like royally, you know, irreparably. You know, I'm trusting them to go in and fix my car. And especially because I'm driving that thing on the highway, I could crash and burn. So the stakes are really high. So I always have to be mindful of that. So I think the unfortunate thing is a lot of clients who aren't, don't feel comfortable, and I could understand why, um, who don't feel comfortable bringing up some of those transference, counter-transference issues, I could see why it's scary. It's scary because you're so emotionally vulnerable. So if I tell you something, like if I tell my therapist, like, you know, I have these so-and-so fantasies, I, you know, I have a fantasy, like I'm not going to act on it, but I have this fantasy of like hurting people, right? And then I say, wow, that's fucked up, <laughs> right? Like, you know, this is like a normal experience to have, but it's it's culturally taboo and it's easy for someone to think that this makes me a bad person, but it's like, yeah, everybody, you know, when you're angry has that, or even let's say, put it like sexual fantasies where we don't talk about these things. So a client comes in, they're like, I have this thing I have to admit to you. Okay. What is that? I watch porn. <gasps> right. I'm sitting there like, well, yeah, I know 90% and I average about 90% of people watch porn. But you don't know that, right? And you have all this shame and religious shame. So you're bringing all your experience into it. And now you're admitting this thing to me. I watch porn. And then I say something like, wow, 
we got you know you got to stop that that's that's wrong that's immoral right that's an example of you giving me access to the engine and me screwing it up as a bad therapist so it need, that's why the relationship needs to be protected and you have to be ethical at all costs because you really can do damage when someone is giving you access to the most vulnerable parts of themselves, their hearts, their minds, and they're trusting me to take care of that in some ways, right? So, you know, so that's why a lot of clients wonder, like, well, why can't I be friends with my therapist? Well, I don't know. Have you ever gotten into a business relationship with a friend? Um, the therapeutic relationship is one way, and that's how it should be. And that's hard for clients. That's one of the hardest things for clients. Like, well, I'm sitting here telling you all about me, and I don't know shit about you. I think there is a reasonable zone of amount of self-disclosure that's appropriate right? There's this big zone. And on one end, now I'd say actually it's a small zone, right? On one end, a therapist could be really buttoned up. They don't really want to tell you about their family. They want it to be really, you know, really one-sided, right? And that's okay. And that's their comfort level. And they want to keep that boundary. They don't want to talk much about anything. This is all about you. Then on the other end, you have therapists, you know, who and I'm saying this is in the reasonable end, you know, are much more open. They'll tell you, ah, yeah, you know, it's, it's been a stressful day, but hey, oh yeah, here's, here's pictures of my dog. And, you know, some therapists may even be like, yeah, you know, I struggle with addiction or I've struggled with mental health too in my past. And I think sometimes that's okay and appropriate. Some people may disagree and I think that helps remove the stigma, but I don't want to be like, here are my diagnoses and here are the medications I'm on. Maybe one day we, you know, we, Find that to be more appropriate, right? So that's within like the reasonable zone of opening up to your therapist. So hey to everyone new who's jumping into the live. We're talking all about the therapist-client relationship, how important it is. And so if you have any questions, let me know. So going back to that reasonable level of self-disclosure among therapists, right? Some therapists, now let's say we get out of the bounds of what's normal, reasonable, and ethical. Right. Sometimes you have clients that are just so buttoned up. And I mean, I guess on this side is probably still the safer zone. There's only so far outside you could go. However, on the other end of being too much self-disclosing, there is a, a you could go very far out of bounds there. Whereas on the other end, you could only go so far out. You know, where I, most of you be like, look, I'm not telling you anything about me outside here. I think that's a little that's definitely a little much. But what more? You know, I'm not disclosing anything about myself and, and okay, that's still close to the, the realm of reasonable. But on the other end, you could be like, oh, I'm going to tell you about all my problems. And I hear so many nightmare stories from clients. And, you know, most of us therapists who are ethical, like to believe, you know, want to just bang our heads against the wall because it just makes us sick and it makes our profession look bad. And so many people have had bad experiences in therapy. And I think if you go see three therapists, and sometimes the bad experience comes from a bad fit, maybe, and that relationship could have been repaired. Um, but a lot of times it is because the therapist isn't paying attention or they're talking more about themselves. And we hear that and it's like, Jesus Christ. You know, just like think about your profession and think about people who make your profession look bad, right? It, it's, it sucks. But again, with the therapeutic relationship, it's just that much worse 
when you're not ethical because that really can and, and does damage. So going back, remembering that whatever's happening in the therapy room is often happening. It's a, it's a microchasm of what is happening outside in your life. So not just doing coping skills. I think some of the best therapy happens in that emotional realm, that relational realm. And sometimes in therapy, you're able to heal some of those relationships of your past, right? You're actually able to play some of that out in the therapy room, right? You gotta be careful with that. But I have to, I just have to be mindful of that of who am I in this relationship? And I'll give you an example of how of what I referred to earlier as a corrective emotional experience. And these are things you could have in your real life, in your day to day. But an example in the therapy room, you know, I had a client who suffered merciless, merciless, I call it merciless bullying throughout his childhood because he was gay, right? And maybe he didn't know at the time and, you know, he maybe acted not like the other boys or whatever, but he would get in like sports and he would get his ass whooped and he would get bullied and teased and he had no help, no one intervened he kept it to himself himself he didn't tell his parents no one really knew what was up and it really gave him this bad taste in his mouth about straight guys and he went through life you know became very successful but really almost dissociated in a way became really closed off emotionally and would just avoid like Anything that had to do with like a stereotypical straight guy, sports, wouldn't go to sporting events. He would just find all these excuses to avoid relationships, uh, exercise, anything that reminded him of gym class and went through life like this. And he like, it just became the new norm. He didn't really even realize. I mean, eventually I diagnosed him with PTSD and he was like, huh, I guess you're right. Like didn't even come to therapy to work on stuff like that. He came to therapy because he started feeling emotions. He was really emotionally closed off. And he's like, he came to therapy. He's like, I've been feeling these strange emotion things. And then, you know, after the first session of doing like an in-depth assessment, I'm like, pretty sure you got PTSD. He's like, oh, well, I guess that makes sense. Right. And we looked at all these areas in his life and how the trauma he experienced affected the decisions he makes and the emotions that, you know, how his emotional world works. And it's interesting because he came to me as a you know straight guy therapist, and which kind of surprised me in a way, but I think it became really therapeutic for him. And we had to work through that, right? Just like sometimes with racial issues, um, that'd be another good example. Let's say I had a client of color, right? And even if I'm you know again not a person who would ever do something overtly racist or um, you know, my ancestors came here a generation ago or something like that, right? I still, it's who I represent, right? I, I look like the person who victimized you, right? So who am I in the therapy room? And sometimes that's who I am and I have to pay attention to that. Just like in that relationship, I had to be careful because in some ways I'm on probation. I'm the guy who abused you, right? Because, you know, I act straight, whatever, I don't know. Some people don't think I do, but, um, but yeah, that was a dynamic that was at play, but I thought 
And I, I love it though. I love that. And I think a lot of times, right, there's this culture in therapy, like, hey, go to who you feel most comfortable with. And yes, of course, there has to be a base level of comfort. But man, do I love when it's on the edge of that comfort zone, if you could tolerate that and actually talk about that, because that's where you have the corrective experience. Like for this guy, you just say, hey, maybe it would be good for you. It would be good for you to see a client, a therapist who's LGBTQ. Right, because you're going to feel comfortable and they're going to have that experience too and there's absolutely value to that but we don't talk about the value of why don't you see the therapist that maybe makes you a little bit uncomfortable not by what they're doing but by who they are and by this client doing that he was we were able to have a corrective emotional experience where over time he was able to trust me a straight guy right we were able to do deep trauma therapy and that in itself is healing Right, that could be more powerful than any of their coping skills or whatever the hell else we therapists do, being facetious. But the relationship, the, the importance of the sacred relationship, you know, it cannot be underestimated. And that's why it needs to be protected at all costs by ethics and boundaries. Why can't I be friends with my therapist? Right? That's what because it'll soil it, right? I mean, you're in an argument with your friends. They piss you off, they don't show up, you know, they don't go to your event. And, you know, the therapist really, it needs to be all about you. And I always like, I always related to like a massage therapist. Like imagine if you go to your massage therapist and you pay and they give you a massage, like, okay, my turn. You're like, okay, right. And a lot of times clients get stuck in that situation with a therapist who may be unethical. They're like, Wait, I'm here to take care of my, I'm here to get a massage. I'm not here to give you a massage. I'm paying you for this, right? Like you're paying, you know, whether it's you, your insurance, whatever, you know, you're entitled to this hour that's all about you. And that's what makes that relationship special too, is it's all about you. And if it becomes about me and our, and our dynamic outside of therapy, if we became friends, that would screw up this really delicate house of cards. It's a beautiful house of cards, but man, you got to be careful because it, I say one wrong thing, it could F the whole thing up. It could really screw up that relation because you're so emotionally vulnerable. Whereas on the outside world, you, know, you close off and you have your you know, coat of armor to get through life and some you know, things could bounce off of you. But when you're in therapy, you're taking off your armor, you're exposing your underbelly and any little thing I do that could hit you deep and frankly traumatize you. You know, even me as a therapist, when I go to therapy, I could feel it happening, right? Especially as a therapist, because I walk around, I'm like, well, I'm a model of mental health and I'm an influencer on TikTok. I'm, you know, like whatever the hell ego I have going on out here, right? I go into therapy and boom, my, you know, that little emotional part of me, I call it like the, the elf in the tree that hides, <laughs> comes out, the scared elf comes out, right? And, you know, trust my therapist for me to just, you know, vomit my neuroses all over them and, you know, vomit my neuroses all over them. And, you know, I. And it's interesting as a therapist, I'm almost associated. I'm like, Ooh, like, look, look what's happening. I can feel myself feeling some of that shame and projection that I talk about, right? It's almost, I'm like, cool. 
but I, you know, I could feel that vulnerability and it's scary. And I know what my clients feel like. I think that's important. That's one of the reasons I think it's important for therapists to get therapy themselves. Right? If you're a massage therapist, you're always physical, giving the, you know, every once in a while you need a massage too, right? So that's why these ethics and boundaries are there to protect, to truly protect that relationship. Um, so what did I, what did I miss on my list here? So I think one of the questions, you know, how do you find a therapist to get fit? I do have a, a video on YouTube on that on five tips. And one of the things I could say from an emotional and fit level, not just like how to search for one, um, is to read profiles, right? And that only gives you so much information, but sometimes it's good to use your intuition. And sometimes just doing that sets you up for a good experience because you feel better and more comfortable going in. So it may not just be there. They wrote a good profile, so they must be good. But sometimes you're using your intuition and saying, I really like what this person said. This really resonated with me. And I think sometimes that may, I can't prove it, but I'd say that that's a good indicator that that person may be a good fit if they're, you know, if you like what they're throwing out there. Um, doing, it's okay to do a couple sessions. So it's okay to try a couple therapists first. I recommend that shop around. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's hard to get in anywhere right now. Therapists are booked to the gills, with, you know, due to COVID and lack of uh, amount of therapists. So sometimes you just got to, sometimes you just go to who you can get into. So maybe in those cases where maybe it's not always the perfect fit, sometimes you could work through that. And I think a lot of therapists on here say, look, if you don't, if they, you don't like your, th whatever, just walk on out. You don't, you don't owe them shit. And that's true. You don't owe them shit. But I sometimes take the perspective of maybe it just isn't a bad fit and it, it should and you should move on. But sometimes I think that that relationship could be repaired by having deep, uncomfortable conversations because, because the uncomfortability of the client may be because of the projection and their own shame. So it's worth talking about that. It's worth bringing that up because you could walk out of that therapy room and it could have been a good fit, but you were too afraid to have that conversation. I'm not putting that on you. You probably don't even realize what the hell's going on. You're just like, I don't like this, right? Your body's like, your body, your emotions like, I don't like this, I'm leaving, but you don't know why. You don't have that insight as to why. Maybe you do. Um, so I always say, have those uncomfortable conversations because the worst that could happen, you know, as being assertive, worst that could happen is your therapist doesn't change. They don't, they don't try to accommodate you. They are maybe flippant or disregarding. And then, yeah, then you just walk out and you find, you try to find someone else. So maybe that person isn't a good fit and maybe they're not, they're one of those un, you know, either unethical therapists or just not that good at what they do. And so a lot of times I think it's just not a fit and it's not just about the therapist, but everyone's one, you got ones that are just not that good. And, you know, so therapists just like you all have different personalities. So do therapists, you know, therapists are human too. We F up You know, had a supervisor talk about how like one time he actually fell asleep. I mean, I've seen that. I mean, clients, I've heard somebody like, you know, a therapist falling asleep. Instead, I mean, could there any, be anything like worse? Like, that's my worst nightmare. And I've come close, and it's nothing to do with the client being boring. It's like, 
I just ate a freaking, you know, I went, I went to a lunch with a marketer from a treatment and we went down the street to this nice restaurant. I ate a freaking cheeseburger for lunch and I was tired from the night, you know, and I just, my eyes get puffy and I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> it is like, I'm struggling to stay awake. And he would joke and say, well, what I would do is I'd purposely drop my pen and try to wake up. But it happens, you know, we're human beings too. And I, and I fuck up a lot, you know, I don't always get it right. Sometimes I may struggle to pay attention and it's usually not, it has nothing to do with the clients about me and where I'm at. And that supervisor always stressed the importance of a therapist. So you gotta take care of yourself. You gotta make sure you're getting enough sleep. You have to make sure that you're taking care of yourself emotionally or you're not gonna be as good as you could be. You may in fact just be bad. So just like the, the uniqueness and importance of the therapeutic relationship, there's the uniqueness of the job of being a therapist in and of itself and what you bring to the table. Because there has to be an element of emotion. Someone asked here on the, on the stream, you know, do we care? Do we really care? And again, we're just, for the sake of this conversation, we're going to take away the unethical therapists. We're going to just remove them, you know, let's say up to 15% of just shitty, unethical, whatever, maybe 25. I don't know. I hope it's not as high as 25, but we're going to remove them because I'm, I'm tired of the disclaimer. Well, when you got the unethical people, we're going to take them out. But therapists in general, what therapy is supposed to be for most people, yes, we care. Maybe I'm just speaking for myself. I don't think so. We care deeply about you. I may not want to be friends with, like, let's just say, like, we met in real life. Like, I would never be friends with you. Like, we're just, we don't have anything in common. You know, you're 20 years older, younger than me. You know, we're, we're different hobbies and interests, whatever that may be. That That's what's cool about it, though. I connect with people that I normally wouldn't. And those are some of my favorite clients, honestly. My favorite clients are the ones that I probably never technically be friends with, you know, my favorite clients are the ones who are so different from me. Um, and I, and honestly, I'm getting like emotional talking about it, but I care about my clients deeply, everyone, even if sometimes they annoy me, right? It's like, well, do clients ever annoy you? Yes. Do clients ever frustrate you? Yes. Do you ever get angry with clients? Yeah. 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 It's hard for me to get that angry. It's like, go home and like, what are you going to do? Like if I'm working at a hospital and you punch me in the face, okay, that's different. That That is a job, you know, it's a mental health professional job. Absolutely. Do I get angry? But think about it this way. If not, oh God. If not, then I don't care. Right. If I can't get angry, if I can't get frustrating or frustrated, that means I don't care. And that's not good. Right. That's because it's a relationship. Right. It's a controlled relationship that has boundaries, but it's a real relationship. Even though I can't disclose all these things about myself, even though we can't be friends outside of here. It's still a relationship. And for the most and for most of us, it matters and it matters deeply.
just know that. Just know that your therapist probably cares more than you think that they do. And again, like I said, that disclaimer, we're taking out this percentage that are unethical, right? And that just sucks. And I think it's more devastating than almost anything else, giving us a bad name. So that's when someone asks, do we frustrate our therapists? And again, if you have any other questions um, on this topic, and for those of you coming in, I know a lot of folks are asking about the addictions job posts because that's trending. And so people are coming in, where do I find that? Um, uh, my next live, we'll talk more about that. Um, but we're doing a recording about the therapeutic relationship. Um, so come back on my next live. We'll talk about those. We'll talk about the addiction jobs. Um, what if you have a crush on your therapist? That's a question we get a lot. What if I get a crush on my therapist? And that's not uncommon, right? Because think about it. You're getting... A lot of times in therapy, you're getting these emotional needs met that you don't get elsewhere, right? And so there, so there is this deeper connection. That's why I said it's a special relationship, and sometimes that happens. Maybe it's a form of transference in some ways, and it happens. Um, and you could two situations: one, you could work through it; two you may need to find somebody else if it becomes distracting. So how do I know if I could work through the crush and not, right? Sometimes, you, you know, just like, you know, just like you meet a new person, you get that exciting feeling that goes away, right? Just like a, just like a crush can go away. You, know, you could either work through that. Maybe that feeling goes away or maybe it's overwhelming. Maybe it's too much. And maybe you need to find another therapist if that does become distracting, if that does affect. And so as a client, you have to ask yourself, you know, am I holding back? Am I holding back? Am I trying to impress them? Am I putting makeup on, you know, because I want them to view me in this way? And I think if it gets to that point, then, you know, maybe, it, you know, maybe it's better to find someone that you're definitely not going to be attracted to. Maybe an old guy <laughs> or something that you know you're not going to be attracted to whatever that is. So it's so it's not a distraction. So that's what I yeah, so what if you have a crush, right? And so there needs to be those boundaries, there needs to be emotional boundaries. And look, you hear those nightmares, you hear of those horror stories. You hear the horror stories of, you know, of of therapists and clients getting in relationships and it happens a lot or having sexual relationships and dear God. Oh, you know, there's nothing worse for us to hear, but it happens, right? And sometimes that emotional vulnerability happens both ways. That, you know, and that's a question too. You know, if we want to, if we really want to get real about it, what happens if a therapist is attracted to, to a client. Does that ever happen? Well, and again, I say we're human beings and you know, you can't fully devoid yourself from that emotional or physical part of yourself. Right. And so therapists, you know, I talk about and look at a lot of therapists, they don't have issues with it, whatever. And most of the time what happens, let's say I have a client come in and this maybe only happened a few times. I'm like, okay, this person is objectively attractive. Um, they're in my age range or, you know, like whatever, you know, outside of here, maybe I'd ask them out on a date or something like that, right? Outside of here, 
right? So like you kind of get this initial shock as a therapist because you're like, what the hell? Like they're good looking and this isn't supposed to happen. And, you know, it's whatever. But usually after you get to know that person and, and as the professional relationship develops, that goes away, right? The novelty wears off and it's fine. Now, look, I, I've personally never had that where it's like gotten... I mean, if I did, I probably wouldn't admit it, but I mean, honestly, I've not had that situation where, you know, I was like, it got uncovered, but it can happen. Again, you're human. Like what would happen if I had a client who I was like, whoa, like I'm attracting them physically and emotionally and a therapist, I, I think I asked my supervisor once, he's like, look, just <laughs> at that point, you just tell him, look, I'm just not a good fit or just fucking make something up <laughs> and, and transfer them to someone else. And they'll be like, wait, why? Like, you know, just be like, oh, I'm dying. <laughs> I got the black lung. I'm sorry. I can't see you anymore, but it is your responsibility. I mean, you shouldn't outright say I have a crush on you, you know? And look, I've had, I've had that happen with, you know, clients, um, you know, I worked at like an LG, I've worked with a lot of LGBTQ clients, a lot of gay men. Um, and apparently, I think I'm just more attracted to gay men than straight women. Um, you know, and again, you, you get over it quick. And most clients are like, oh, he's cute or whatever. But then they get over it and it's fine. You know, just like, you know, just like gay men, you know, having other gay men friends. It's like, all right, we got to work out this dynamic at the beginning because we're like sexually attracted, but then it kind of wears off and it's fine and we're friends now. It kind of happens in that in the same way, gay, straight, whatever, um, you know, but women as well. I've had, I think I can think of like one instance, you know, where someone had told me like, look, like I have to, you know, and it was awesome. It was like super brave of them. And they're like, look, like I can't see you anymore. I'm physically, like I'm attracted to you. And I'm like, look, you know, like, you know, what can I really say back? Um, you know, I got to be careful what I say, but I'm like, look, I appreciate you. you took a lot of courage and honesty to say that. And, you know, I, I wish you the best. And yeah, I'm really impressed that you were able to get vulnerable and say that it takes a lot of courage to tell your therapist you're attracted to them. And, you know, and she took it upon herself to go find someone else, you know, to find a female therapist. Yeah, it was uncomfortable, but it was like, maybe I was a little flattered. Like, yeah, yeah. you know, we're, we're human. That, that's the bottom line is therapists are human. We fuck up. We bring our own shit into the therapy room, just like clients bring their own shit into the therapy room as well. So, you know, it's these that, you know, we got it. We have to talk about this. Um, what is that? Someone asked, what do you do when your client finds out that you are their FP? What is FP? So let's see what's going on on the TikTok cam here. Got some questions rolling in. So, yeah, if anyone else has questions about therapy, the therapeutic relationship with your with your clinician. So we just talked about all the dynamics and this is going to be posted on my YouTube and on my podcast. And at some point the freaking recording went off. I don't know when, I don't know how much I lost, but damn, this was a good. Oh, favorite person fan page. Wait, so what was that question? What do you do when your client finds out that you're their favorite person? I don't get that. Client finds out. Oh, okay. Like, as in favorite person, like you're my favorite client? 
right? So sometimes I got to be careful with that. Like, you're my favorite client. You know, but I, I do have some clients that I will say that they're special in some way. You know, like a client, I've got a client who I've seen the longest of anyone else. And because of that, I give him some seniority where I, I let him see me later than anyone else where I'm like trying to get out of work. I'm like, all right, I'll see you at five o'clock um, because you have you have seniority. But no one else am I doing that for. So you're special. Right. And that's OK. You know, you, I mean, there is there is this OK zone. And we talked about this before of like, let's say, self-disclosure. Um, there's an okay zone of like having an emotional exchange with the client and something that could be powerful and it's dangerous, right? Self-disclosure or that emotional exchange. You have to be really careful with to protect that relationship and what you're saying. But if you're too buttoned up, you're not going to get that. And that's why I don't believe in being too buttoned up and not sharing anything about yourself. Um, and I do think that has a negative impact on the therapeutic relationship. But again, if you're overly emotional and you're crying all the time in front of them and, you know, people, it's uncomfortable. People, people don't want that. People don't want that. So the relationship, it needs to be protected at all costs. I'm going to ask, how do I open up to my therapist? Well, it's just like jumping into a pool, right? You could, you have a couple of, and you could dip your toes in the water like, hmm, that's not so bad. And then my foot and slowly do it. And that's probably the most common way to do it. Or you jump right in and either way, your therapist is fine with it, right? It's like, again, there is the trust building process. So I'd say, yeah, look, get to that point where you trust them and, you know, trust. I always give this example, like you give someone a dollar and then you get the dollar back. Okay, now I could give them two, three, and that's how trust is built. And you could open up more and more with your therapist once you trust them. But look, if you go into, sometimes clients will go to the therapy room, they're like scared, and then they start to do it like, wow, this feels really good. And then it just, boom, it all comes out. And we're, we're there, we're cool with that. Man. Let it out. Sometimes we may be like, whoa, whoa, okay. <laughs> but, you know, we're trained to handle all that stuff. And again, there are bad therapists and we're not talking about them. We've already talked about them. This is, this is, we're talking about ethical, good therapists who I like to think are most of them. So we're talking about that. Um, <laughs> someone says, look, professor, I have a problem. I cannot ask women on a date or something stops me. Why am I having anxiety? <laughs> But look, and, and we'll, I will relate it. And again, I'm going to do another live and we'll have more general questions. This is a recorded live. We're talking about a specific topic. And, you know, but it's the same thing. It's anxiety to be vulnerable, just like approaching a woman, approaching a guy, asking them out, right? Opening up to your therapist. It's the same dynamic. And the only way to move past that is to challenge your anxiety and to slowly open open up and get used to it. And again, you know, in the words of Bo Burnham, come on in, the water's fine. So yeah, any other questions about the therapeutic relationship? Yeah, and here's, okay, I'm an ICU nurse caring for COVID patients. I cry every day. Yeah. Oh, that was, and that was another one of those questions. was emotional boundaries. You know, someone said, do we care? Yes, we care. Do we take it home with us? Sometimes. 
right? Sometimes with trauma, we take, you know, maybe we can. I, I always say there's an emotional filter. A therapist needs to have an emotional filter. If you take the filter off, then I'm just crying with you and every day, and then you cannot be a therapist, just like you can't be like a hospice worker. And look, and just like you can't be in an ICU nurse if you don't have some filter. But right now, I'd say it's an exception because right now things are a fucking nightmare. And, you know, people are dying left and right of COVID. And it's it's just, you know, sometimes your filter could only handle so much. And right now it's this like outlying factor and probably normally in ER, ICU, you know, where you have patients die, if it affected you like it you know, like losing a family member every time you couldn't do it and you couldn't be effective. But you need to have that filter. And if the filter is too thick, well, then I'm totally emotionally detached and clients pick up on that and I don't care. So it's like you have to have, and I said this at the beginning, you have to have this healthy emotional connection to your clients. It cannot be fully devoid and it cannot be unfiltered. So that's something to think about. And look, for you, I see you, nurse, I feel for you. And people say, that, oh, you're a therapist during this time. Whatever, I'm fine. I've been fine with it. You know, I'm working from home. I got it good. You know, but for those who are on the front lines and putting themselves at risk and having to deal with, frankly, these un, these probably avoidable situations is even more frustrating for doctors where, you know, we have a solution um, and, you know, we have people who are unvaccinated, choosing to be unvaccinated, who are absolutely filling up the ICUs right now and dying at high rates. And it's tragic and it's frustrating. And you put, you know, you're putting yourself at risk. So I really appreciate that. Um, so is there anything I didn't cover? Yeah. I think that, I mean, I think that's it. Is there any other Q&A? Well, if that's the case, I think... <laughs> oh, people are, yeah. You know, when I do these live recordings, people get frustrated. Like, I just want to talk about this or that. But I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to stop the recording here. Uh, hopefully, I didn't lose too much of it. I don't know why or when that recording stopped. and I'm pissed. But we'll see. Maybe I'll just use the TikTok live version and hopefully the sound isn't too shitty. Well, all right. Until next time, folks. Evan the Counselor Live. I'm out.